I'm Darlene. <laughs> you went right. Okay. I'm Derek. And I'm Darlene. <laughs> 28? 29. See? <laughs> we met in 82. 83. 83. February 10th. <laughs> and it must have been love at first sight because I thought he could sing that yep. night. <laughs> she thought I was good looking and big too. I was a little bitty guy. He, I've been a power lifter since 1980. She didn't get into it until the last, last year. year. And then she broke the national record in March. And so he told me, he said, he goes, you know, we could do a two-man deadlift because that's like us working together and that's what we do during life, you know, through our kids, through when we did foster care, through him telling me, no, I can't have another dog. We work <laughs> through those things and, say, and um, always do it together. He gets the glory, not me. I, I don't have strength. He gives me everything. Give me her. Welcome. And thank you, Darlene and Derek. I think she's signing to him. Trying to get him to understand. <laughs> oh my goodness, thank you for your dedication, your discipline. Thanks for everything that you've done and, and remaining faithful to each other and growing together. Uh, I'm just fearful that they've set the bar too high for the rest of us. And, uh, but we want to keep growing as well. You know, the Beatles came along in 1964. How many saw that original Ed Sullivan show? Look at all of those hands that are up. I'm telling you what. You know, they tried to create a culture in which there was some type of fantasy going around that we could work it out, <laughs> you know, that, that somehow or another, if we just simply quit fussing and fighting and thought of it as a crime, that maybe somehow or another we could just work it out. They even went on in their fantasy to talk about, imagine a place without heaven or hell just living for the day. How many times have we heard that? Talked about a, a place where there are no governments, no religions, nothing to live or die for, just living life in peace. They talked about a place where there was no possessions, no hunger, no greed, just a brotherhood of mankind. Well, they didn't even last together, but less than seven years. And so it is hard. It is hard hard work to work it out. If you thought that deadlift was hard work and takes all that discipline, all that dedication, determination, cooperation, mental toughness, etc., 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 I'm telling you what, you ought to try to resolve conflicts. If you've been there, you know how difficult it is. You know what we have to do deep down inside of us to be able to work things out. The only thing that I've seen this week that may rival, rival that type of hard work that it takes to work things out is when I came down here on Monday during VBS. <laughs> At noon, I came and picked up my children, my grandchildren, who were in VBS so that Trey could stay and help clean up and get ready for the next day. 
And I'm telling you what, I can deal with dying and death and divorce and disappointment and depression. And you just, I, I can deal with anything that goes in ER or OR. I can deal with it all. But I'm telling you what, when I walked in that door with a thousand kids, I was traumatized. And I went back to the office that afternoon and I gathered the staff together and I said, we need to pray and thank the Lord for those workers who work BBS, right? But it's, it's hard work to work it out. Whether it's in your marriage or whether it's with your children, whether it's with your neighbor or colleague, it is hard work to work it out. It just doesn't come because we sing about it. It's hard work. Here's the key statement that I want to leave with you this morning. There is no way that we can work it out with our spouse or for that matter with anyone else if we don't embrace how God has worked it out with us. Do you hear that? There is no way that we can work it out with our spouse or anyone else if we don't embrace how God has worked it out with us. And here's my theme passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God has forgiven you. You have to get that. You have to feel that deep down in your soul. You have to somehow or another grapple with what God has done to make himself available and right with yourself. If we don't get that, we don't get the other. We don't we don't have the capacity to do conflict resolution. We don't have the capacity to live at peace and in harmony. We don't have the capacity to be reconciled with anyone until we accept and embrace and acknowledge how God has reconciled himself to us, a sinner. And here's how God works it out. God works it out as sovereign which simply just mean he has all authority, he has all power, he has all control. As sovereign, God pardons us when we sin against him. As lawgiver and judge, God justifies himself in letting us off the hook for our breaches of the law, for our transgressions. And as God and Father, he just simply forgives us. That is who our God is, and there's some debate about which one of those trumps more than the other one, but I know which one. I've read the Bible through and through many times and thought about it. I've tried to get it across to people, and I know which one trumps. And it is that God and Father who just finally just forgives us. Just as in Christ, 
God has forgiven you. You have to get it to be a person of peace and harmony and unity. Look at this passage in Micah 7, verse 18. This one talks, kind of captures it all, but it's, I wanted to sh- you to see it. Who is a God like you? The prophet asked. Who pardons sin, as sovereign, you could put in there, and who forgives the transgressions as judge of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry but delight to show mercy as a father. Oh, my goodness. And look at this one in Romans 3, verse 23 through 27, where more than any place else, I captured this aspect of the gospel in studying Romans years ago and have tried to share it with anybody I can because we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And we then are all justified freely, generously by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, an interesting word. It could mean appeasement. It, it could mean propitiation, if you remember that old King James word, a substitute through the shedding of his blood. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God had to somehow or another satisfy his justice as a a lawgiver, As a judge, he somehow or another had to justify himself in granting me pardon, in in making me right with him when I could never be right with him. The thief on the cross understood it. If you got your Bible out, you could look in Luke chapter 23. Ken mentioned it a few weeks ago in his series, The Last Week of the Life of Jesus. On the cross, the criminal, one of the criminals was hurling insults at Jesus. You saved others, save yourself and us. You're the Messiah. And the other criminal says, who do you think you are? Mocking God, don't you have respect? We're all under the same sentence of death. And then the criminal said, for we are being punished justly. For we are receiving what our actions deserve. But this man has done nothing. But that criminal got it. He got it that he was being punished justly. He got it that he was receiving what his actions deserved. And none of us who believe in Jesus Christ and have confessed him as Lord and have been baptized into Christ and live a life in honor of him. None of us have to receive what we deserve for our mistakes, our sins, our just plain out brutally viciousness sometimes. 
if we have turned to him and realized what he has done for us. But what I love more than that passage is passages that present him as father, which I believe is the dominating theme about God throughout scripture. Look at Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, he just simply says, as, as a merciful God and father, he, he blesses those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Have you thought about that? Sins forgiven, sins covered as buried, done away with. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, he simply says, and, and he does not, blessed is the one whose sins are not counted against him. There's no list of good things I've done and no list of bad things I've done. And one, whichever one outweighs the other one determines my destiny. Because he is God and Father and full of mercy, he doesn't hold it against me. He lets it go. As if I didn't do them. And he goes on to say, David says, and, and when I didn't confess my sins, my bones wasted away. And, and my energy was zapped like in the heat of summer. But you, O oh God, have forgiven the guilt of my sin. You see, Satan doesn't want you to hear this message. He wants you to be covered and shackled and paralyzed by your past. And God says, no, you're pardoned. You're justified without being just. And you are forgiven. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 2, he captures it like this. But God, being because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgression. You're no longer dead. You've been made alive. Oh my goodness. For by grace have we been saved through faith. It's... It's nothing that we can boast about. It's not by works that we've done. It's because he is alive and working in us. Anything good you see in me comes from the Father. Anything bad you see in me comes from Koi. Right? Jesus had some things to say about forgiveness as well. A lot of things to say about forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 9, a group of men brought a paralytic to Jesus on a mat, and he looked at him and he says, My son, your sins are forgiven. Take heart. Did you hear that? You know, he... I mean, later he would say, arise and walk, because the Pharisees and some others were calling it blasphemy that he could forgive sins. And Jesus just simply said, so that you will know, get up and walk. Take your mat, 
Get out of here. Your sins are forgiven. Why? Because he knew that what the man needed more than the paralysis that he was experiencing physically was the paralysis that he was experiencing because of his sins. And Jesus said to the man, Your sins, my son, please take heart. Don't let them capture you anymore. Don't let them entangle you, enslave you anymore. Your sins, my son, please take heart, are forgiven. If you've never heard those words, if you've never experienced those words in your conscience, in your heart, in your mind, if you've never heard them from another fellow human being, let me just simply say to you this morning, in the name and power and authority of Jesus Christ, if you have believed and confessed and repented and been baptized into his name and are trying to walk the life worthy that he has set out before you, your sins are forgiven now and forever never to be remembered again. That ought to change the way you live. It ought to change the way you look at yourself. It ought to change the way you look at your fellow man. And it especially ought to change the way you look at your mate. Jesus also said the other flip side of forgiveness in chapter 15, chapter 18 of Matthew. He had spent the good section teaching about forgiveness. He told us we needed to be like little children. He had told us if a brother sins against us, we go to him. Just between the two of us and we try to get it settled. And then you get help from others and you get help from the church if you have to. But you, you, you work on it. You don't let it slip. You just don't sing about it. You do something about it. And then he told the parable of the unmerciful servant who had been forgiven a great amount of money, about a million dollars, who begged and pleaded for forgiveness when his master was going to have him sold into slavery along with his wife and children and everything that he had to try to pay off some of the debt. And he begged for forgiveness and he got it. And then he went out and took someone who owed him just a few dollars, less than 10, and took that man and took him to court. And he, the master heard about it. And the master called him back in. I forgave you that great amount and you won't forgive your brother that amount? Take him and throw him into prison and let him stay there until he pays the last cent. And that meant a life sentence because he couldn't pay it if he was in prison. And when he said that, this is what Jesus said. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat you. Unless you forgive your brother, and I added our sister, from the heart.
It's got to come from in here. The heart is not only the seat of emotions, it's also the seat of logic in ancient literature. And he says, unless you can do that from the very depths of your being, you're going to be like that parable of the unmerciful servant because you have been given so much from God the Father. And now to be his children, we do the same. Dr. John Gottman says in his book and in his writings, he's kind of a guru out in Seattle, Washington on human relationships, especially marital relationships. And he says it this way. He says this is what he's discovered after 25 years of working exclusively with couples. He says what's wrong 85% of the time in most marriages is that if you consider yourself inadequate, and after reading him, you understand that he means by inadequate. If you consider yourself inadequate, unforgiven, unworthy, not valuable, If you look down upon yourself, you are always on the lookout for what is not there in yourself. You are always going to be more hard on yourself than God wants you to be or intends for you to be. And you are also going to be just as hard on your partner. If you haven't received and embraced the forgiveness of God You will be hard on yourself and everybody around you. Look at it this way. My key passage, Ephesians 4, verse 32, the last phrase, just as in Christ, God has forgiven you. If you don't get that, if you don't embrace that, if you don't live that, here's what happens to you. It's Ephesians 4 in reverse. It's going to be hard for you to forgive others. It's going to be difficult for you to be compassionate. It's going to be difficult for you to be kind. Verse 31, you're going to be full of bitterness. And it's going to come out all around you. Even no matter what kind of front you put on, it'll come out. You'll slander people. You'll talk about people behind their back. You'll be full of all kinds of bad thoughts and malintentions toward other people if you don't forgive and it received forgiveness. Verse 30, he says, you'll grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom your salvation is sealed. Verse 29, he says, all kinds of harsh, stinging type words will come out of your mouth that are designed to destroy others. Verse 27 Verse 28, he'll say you'll find trouble being generous, especially to people that you have something against because you're not used to being generous by giving your heart, giving forgiveness from the heart. Verse 27, you'll let the Satan in, and that's all he needs is a foothold to destroy you. Verse 26, your anger turns into sin. Verse 25, the bitterness distorts the truth. Verse 24, the new self created in Christ to be like God is anything but. Verse 23, the new mind in Christ that he wants you to have dominated your, dominate your thinking by, by Jesus. <clears throat> It'll not be able to take root. Verse 24, I don't even know where I am now. 
Verse 22 says you'll be corrupted. Verse 15 says you won't be able to speak the truth in love. Oh, you may speak the truth, but it'll be with bitterness and revenge. Verse 13, there will be no peace, harmony, unity. Also, verse 3, verse 2, there will be no gentleness, humility. Verse 1, you won't live the life that he wants you to have in Christ. You won't be made alive in Christ. You see, I've probably offended some people already today. You're going to have to forgive me before I leave here. <laughs> and if it's bad enough, you've got to come see me. Because I, I sin against people and don't even try. I'm hearing impaired from having ridden farm equipment when I was a young child before they had cabs and things to get some of the noise out. And about every five years or so, I get wax in my ear. This past winter was one of those. So if you thought I was ignoring you, I just couldn't hear you. When I get fatigued, when I get stressed, when I get sick, I don't remember people's names. And if I forgot your name, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. If you come up here today and talk to me, please tell me your name right off the bat. I've preached three times this weekend. But I love you. And you are so valuable to God. And he does not want you to harbor anything against me or anybody else because it will rob you of the life that he intended for you to have in Christ. You get it? You see, what happens is your heart begins to die because of the hatred. It's what Jesus said. Your love begins to be conditional. And eventually, you, everybody you know will sin against you. And if your love is conditioned upon them not hurting you and causing pain to you, your love begins to be conditional, and eventually you will eliminate everybody in your life. Your love cannot be conditional. Your forgiveness maybe can be a little bit conditional. Because I want you to be smart. You can't worship unless you forgive, receive forgiveness and give forgiveness because worship is acceptable when it is from the heart. It just can't be from your lips. Peter would say your prayers are hindered when you don't receive forgiveness and give forgiveness, when you don't treat your spouse with consideration when you don't sacrifice for her or him, your prayers are hindered. It doesn't matter what book you read on forgiveness, there's a list kind of that comes out of it that says here's how you process forgiveness, whether it's Sell or Smead or Worthington or whomever, you've got to acknowledge. Just admit that you were sinned against and it's crappy, it hurts, 
It's painful. I wish I didn't have to go through this. Just admit it. But then recognize your anger and figure out whether it's appropriate or inappropriate and deal with it before the sun goes down if you can. And then be willing to forgive. Let your heart be willing to forgive like God's heart. God is willing to forgive. He doesn't stay angry, Micah said. And then engage the offender to help you. And what you do in there is just trying to create an atmosphere where you can work it out. And if the person is evil, let it go. There are some people that are just evil. Did the person, did a good person do a bad thing or did a bad person do a bad thing against you? And if they're a bad person, just let it go. Don't let them have any more of your life or thought or heart. Just let it go. And if they just simply can't get it, <laughs> love them anyway. Because sometimes we men can't get you women, and sometimes you women can't get us men. And if we can't, if you just can't get it, why we are the way we are, and why we do the things we do, and the way we do them, just love us anyway. And then if somebody's really, really hurt you, forgive them. Hopefully they'll repent and ask forgiveness to help you along the way. Here are four big questions. Four big questions about forgiveness. Must I feel forgiveness? Joe Beam, who knows a lot about forgiveness and wrote a book called Forgiven Forever, he says forgiveness is a decision. It is an act of the will. You must decide to forgive. You may not ever really feel it if they have hurt you deeply and profusely. Just decide to forgive and trust that God is going to help you overcome. Must I forget? I wish we could. God says he remembers sins no more. I don't know about you. I'm trying to live a life of God, but I, I can't be God. I remember. And so just try to forgive and let go. Must I act as if nothing happened? No, I don't want you to be unwise. In fact, Jesus says, when he sent the disciples out into the world, he says, I want you to be as crafty as the serpents and as innocent as doves. I think what he was saying is, I want you to be streetwise. I want you to use your noggin. When somebody hurts you over and over again, yeah, let it go, especially if they're evil. But you may not be able to just act as if nothing happened. But you do need to be wise and you do need to pray to God for help to know how to treat those people who repeatedly hurt you. Must I reconcile? That's always the goal, Romans 12. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. But not everything depends on you. So as much as it depends on you, yes, be reconciled. But realize not everything depends on you. And if it doesn't, let it go. Let it go.
Joe Beam says that one of the things that happens to us is when we try to seek revenge or we try to make somebody hurt as much as they have hurt us is that we never know whether or not they're hurting as much as they hurt us. Because they're not us. They don't have my background, my past, my baggage, my life. A woman in Florida went out one night the man she was with raped her, shot her in the head, left her in the ditch for dead. She survived. Blind, disfigured. She was being interviewed on a talk radio television program. And the interviewer said to her, there must not be a day that goes by that you don't remember that man who did this with resentment and hatred. And I'm quoting, and the woman said to the interviewer, that man took one night out of my life and I refuse with resentment to give him another second of my life. Let it go. Let it go. It's what God did for us. He lets it go when we believe in what He has done, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. When we confess that He is Lord, that He is God's Son, when we repent of it taking us so long to understand and the actions that we've done up until then, and when we're baptized into Jesus' name, and we let him make us alive in Jesus Christ. If you have needs this morning, there will be section hosts in the aisle. There will be pastors around. You may just want to take something, take up something right where you're sitting. You may want to go to someone. But let it go. Deal with it. Let it go. So that you can go higher and higher.